0: And thank you Axel, thank you David, uh, it's a pleasure to be here again and uh, talk about optimal sequencing of agents in HCC in the era of immune therapy and novel agents and targets. So these, just to go quickly through the, the landscape of uh, of treating uh, HCC just in, uh, with level of evidence uh, according to stage, but we know at least for uh, level of evidence uh, one. Uh, what we have uh, in treatment of advanced HCC, sorafenib, limvatanib, regorafenib, and cabozantinib, level two, uh, with a question mark actually are the immunotherapeutic agents now, nivolumab and pembrolizumab. Sorafenib uh, was established as uh, our standard of care now for uh, close to a decade uh, in the first line after having no options whatsoever for patients with advanced HCC. This became our first uh, standard uh, based on initially a phase two study led by Dr. Abu Alfa, which led to this phase three study that ultimately established the role of sorafenib uh, in uh, in HCC and has become our standard for for quite a while in the first line. And we didn't have much uh, any more options than 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 this. Sorafenib had been challenging uh, because of its uh, uh, toxicities um, and and dosing. Uh, similar to a lot of these TKIs where we're challenged, especially in patients who have uh, some baseline liver disease. And a number of trials actually tried uh, to look at similar agents or try to enhance uh, the activity of sorafenib. And unfortunately, all of those ended up being negative. Again, another study led by Dr. Abu-Alfa was sorafenib plus doxorubicin, 80802CLGB, just published in JAMA Oncology. Unfortunately, they're not sure that doxorubicin adds uh, value to sorafenib. Uh, That was actually a very important study, I think, just from the fact that it does show that uh, doxorubicin probably does not add much value in this disease overall period. As you know, before sorafenib, doxorubicin was pretty much a standard a poor standard for us, but we had essentially no other options, and I think this, this validated that chemotherapy perhaps does not have much of a role in this disease, and it's primarily biologics and perhaps immunotherapeutics. And there were others that looked, uh, unfortunately, again, all of them ended up being negative. Uh, we'll, we'll touch upon lenvatinib, which is the, the uh, other agent now uh, that's approved and used in first-line treatment uh, of advanced HCC. This was based on the REFLECT trial. The REFLECT trial is, uh, was a, a non-inferiority trial powered for essentially showing that lenvatinib is non-inferior to sorafenib in terms of survival as a primary endpoint. And so, as you can see, the median overall survival of lenvatinib and sorafenib were similar, uh, so non-inferior, uh, with uh, essentially uh, reaching its uh, statistical predetermined primary endpoint. So that. Added another option for our patients with advanced HCC. The progression-free survival uh, trended uh, a little to, to, to favor lymvatinib and the same for response rate. Now keep in mind that these were secondary endpoints in a non-inferiority trial design, so be very careful how to interpret those. I mean, one can safely say that this agent is a safe alternative uh, to Sorafinib in the first line. That's as, as far as I would go. Uh, the toxicities are, are different. Uh, lymvatinib, which is much more of a VEGF inhibitor uh, than anything else, has primarily hypertension. Uh, hypertension can be quite tough for some patients. 23% will have it more than grade three. Uh, so it can be challenging in terms of management. On the other hand, uh has its primary toxicity as a, a palmar plantar erythro disease, uh, which certainly can be quite challenging. It tends to happen in the first month or two of treatment uh, and for some patients it can be quite, uh, quite tough to manage. So when we, when we look at the, at the results of the study and put this in perspective about what to do uh, when, when we see our next patient with uh, advanced HCC and the choices of lymvatinib versus Serafinib, uh, so I think it 's important to keep in mind the differential toxicities between the two, uh, and when we look at essentially the, the discontinu- discontinuation rate for adverse events it 's actually uh, pretty similar between the two, so one cannot say that w- patients are withdrawing from one versus the other because of toxicities, if, if anything, you know a little bit more to the lymphatetina uh, both uh, both uh, agents had had. Uh, second-line therapy received on this trial uh, at a rate of close to one-third of the patients. So how do we weigh uh, the treatment decisions? I mean, this is challenging. Non-inferiority studies are very challenging to interpret because they really don't offer us the opportunity of understanding whether there is an agent superior. It just gives us an alternative uh, rather than a replacement. So rafinib has been really our standard of care for advanced HCC for a decade, with a lot of challenges because of the toxicities. And lenvatinib, as I said, has been shown to be non-inferior. Secondary endpoints, such as response rate and PFS, although seem to be better with lymvatinib because of the study design, should be interpreted with extreme caution. We talked about the side effects. I'll tell you, our biggest challenge is frankly, since now we have second and beyond line options, and all these studies that we have on hand uh, we're actually in the setting of progress- progressive disease on serafinib uh, and not lymphatinib. So, the challenge is, of course, how do we interpret those studies uh, if we decide to use lymvatinib in the first line? Would we still, still see the same uh, outcomes uh, for second line and beyond for those patients? Can we just extrapolate? And, of course, this is a big question mark and should be taken a decision when, when deciding on how to treat those patients. And, and this brings us to the second line, <coughs> a randomized uh, trials, and we have a number of them that essentially looked at HCC. I mean, since Serafinib since was, was approved, we've seen a, an explosion of these phase three randomized studies in HCC, a lot of it, large activity, frankly, bringing a, l- a number of agents to a disease where we had zero before 2009. So in 10 years, um, you know, a lot of work has, be done, ha- has been done uh, and has brought a lot of good agents forward uh, to treat those patients. So a lot of credit to the investigators who led a lot of these studies. So remissurumab has been looked at. We'll talk a little bit about this uh, in, in uh, not just the next few slides, but the next discussion as well. Uh, remissurumab versus placebo was looked at in both REACH and REACH-2 with alpha protein more equal than 400. There were uh, <clears throat> studies with Brevenib Everolimus uh, that unfortunately were, were, were negative. Um, the first uh, study in the second line that essentially led to an approval of an agent uh, was the Rigorafenib, the resource study, which looked at Rigorafenib versus placebo uh, in patients who progressed on sorafenib. Again, it was interesting because the thought was rigor- Rigorafenib is pretty close to sorafenib in terms of its chemical structure except for one. Uh, molecule. So, so, so this actually ends up changing perhaps a lot uh, the, uh, the activity of the agent and that's true uh, when, when we look at colon cancer and GIST there's certainly a differential activity between the two. Now there's a caveat to the study of course is the entry criteria were a little bit uh, uh, restrictive which could affect the interpretation of the study. Nonetheless, this study was positive. Um, For its primary endpoint of overall survival, uh, same for progression-free survival, uh, with actually reasonable hazard ratios. Uh, And there was even using the the median resist, uh, there was a 10.6 response rate with regorafenib, which when applied to resist 1.1 was 6.6%. So we don't see a lot of responses with these agents primarily stable disease. But this was positive and certainly placed Rigorafenib as an option in the second line. A treatment And one, uh, this was uh, published in, uh, now I think Lancet GI and Hepatology, looking at the sorafenib and Rigorafenib sequence for patients who received sorafenib followed by Rigorafenib. The median survival was close to 26 months. Uh, those that went on the placebo with 19.2 months. Again, to be interpreted with caution given the fact that There are a lot of biases and and, and selection uh, issues that (coughs) happen with with interpretation of results like these, but nonetheless it does show that with uh, the proper sequence and with uh, essentially exposure to at least two lines of therapy, we're starting to see patients with advanced HCC uh, surviving beyond the two years, which is pretty impressive by itself, understanding that we were limited to less than a year just a decade ago. And then this study led uh, by Dr. Abu-Alfa, Celestial, uh, looking at cabozantinib versus placebo and HCC in patients who progressed on sorafenib, uh, so everyone had to progress on sorafenib and then other, uh, that, that study allowed third line as well as second line, so there were third line patients as well as second line patients included. Um, the study uh, reached its primary endpoint, again, with, uh, with very reasonable hazard ratios. Uh, good deltas, uh, and a progression-free survival actually was 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 pretty interesting and pretty impressive. And earlier earlier on, you see the drop in placebo, and cabozantinib maintaining uh, uh, an advantage with um, with the PFS uh, over over time uh, with a median PFS 5.2 versus 1.9 plus. Yeah. Uh, The toxicities of cabozantinib were not much different than expected, Uh, a great three or four uh, events, so again uh, PES primarily with cabozantinib and hypertension uh, as the main uh, toxicities with a little bit of fatigue and diarrhea. So very, very expected for this type of TKI that targets both VEGF and MET and perhaps a few others. So that brings us to essentially another agent that also made its way uh, to the treatment of advanced HCC. So we, the REACH-1 study essentially that compared remissurumab versus placebo, or it's REACH, not REACH-1, uh, <coughs> Remisuramab versus placebo uh, took all patients and unfortunately did not show any benefit in patients who failed prior sorafenib and then uh, the, 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 the investigators looked at a differential effect between those patients who had an AFP more equal than 400 versus then less, and they've seen trends actually favoring Remisurumab, which essentially led to this, phase two, uh, to this phase three study that selected patients specifically uh, for those uh, who uh, had alpha-fetoprotein more equal than 400 and randomized patients accordingly to Remisurumab and placebo. And this study essentially reached its primary endpoint uh, uh, for overall survival and progression-free survival in patients who failed prior to rafinib, uh, with the toxicities as expected, primarily hyper, uh, hypertension with the um, and, then, and then hypernatremia, but primarily hypertension, which is expected with this. Uh, Ramucirumab has a very uh, reasonable safety profile, uh, unlike the other TKIs and certainly for patients with HCC has now become a welcome option. Um, for a lot of our patients, we very reluctant to continue to proceed with more uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors beyond sorafenib and now limbatinib. Uh So unfortunately, this ends up being limited to only those patients who have an alpha-fetoprotein uh, more or equal than 400, which forms less than 40% of patients with HCC. All right, now delving into the role of immune therapy, and this is a little bit more messy. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the excitement about immune therapy started first with this study uh, that was ultimately uh, uh, led to the conditional approval of nivolumab in second-line uh, patients with, uh, with HCC. This was a large single-arm uh, study, started with the dose ex- escalation and then went to a dose expansion including cohorts with uninfected, ACV and HPV <coughs> infected. The thought was that those with hepatitis virus infection may actually uh, uh, have a, 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 a larger inflammatory milieu which may allow them essentially to respond uh, better to these immune therapy agents. It turns out that it, it doesn't really affect it. Those that respond, respond. We don't understand why. And we still don't. Um, and those that don't, just don't. And there were two groups of patients, sorafinib-experienced, meaning pre-exposed, and then sorafinib-naive. Primarily, the uh, uh, sorafinib-experienced are the ones that were the larger group and ended up essentially to the approval uh, of this agent on a conditional basis. Uh, The uh, overall response rate across the board was about 20%, so relatively higher than expected for this type of disease. Although, keep in mind, limvatinib had a response rate above 20%. Uh, now again, uh, you know the, the, the responses tend to be less durable than what we see with the occasional patient with, with HCC exposed to, immune, to an immune agent that actually responds. The median PFS, as you see, is pretty much in line of all other studies, which essentially means that the median, uh, at least historically, uh, this would not perform any better than any tyrosine kinase inhibitor. Uh, on hand. It's, it's, it's been proposed that mostly those patients at the tail are driving uh, most of the benefit, about 10 to 20 percent of the patients. So this uh, essentially took nivolumab versus sorafenib in the Checkmate 459 study comparing essentially nivolumab to sorafenib. Uh, this study that will essentially will be presented at ESMO was negative, meaning that it did not show that nivolumab would achieve uh, a significant improvement <coughs> over uh, sorafenib, uh, and with a hazard ratio of 0.85, uh, and and essentially in a non-significant fashion. So, unfortunate, uh, but in some ways, I hate to say that, in some ways, somewhat expected given the lack of selection. Um, you know, and and the hazard ratio itself was not as impressive as we were thought. I mean, one can argue that the medians, perhaps. Uh, would collide, but that the hazard ratio may actually favor uh, more aggressively the immunotherapy agent. Uh, but it turns out it's probably not true. Now uh, we'll see the final results. There's there's a discussion that perhaps a lot of these patients who went on sorafenib ultimately crossed over uh, to a PD-1 inhibitor. Again, we'll see. I'm, you know I'm I'm not convinced at this point of time that. For the, for the large mass of patients with HCC, immune therapy should be our first and arguably maybe not even our second choice at this point until we understand where it lies. And that comes essentially at the heels of another study that was actually uh, 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 followed uh, nivolumab, pembrolizumab in HCC, had the same path to approval on a conditional basis based on this single uh, single arm study, to 224 which again did uh, not show, uh, did show uh, a response rate of, of uh, close to 20%, about 17% uh, durable responses and then led to its conditional approval. But again, when we uh, went to the phase three, this was, this was essentially presented. presented uh, with Keynote 240, randomizing patients to pembrolizumab versus, versus placebo and best supportive care, keeping in mind that we do have active uh, agents in the second line from all these other phase three studies. Uh, so comparing, comparing to placebo and not being able to essentially uh, produce positive results certainly brings a big question mark uh, about whether, uh, you know, it would still make sense to expose these patients to the immune uh, therapy agents uh, versus agents that actually that uh, have proven to be superior to, to placebo. Now, there are a lot of reasons why this may have failed, but it is a negative study, uh, and certainly um, does show that both with OS and PFS, which were co-primary endpoints, uh, the study failed to reach its primary endpoint. There's another agent, cameralizumab, uh, which also has a single uh, study with a large cohort has been showing, again, consistently, these response rates that are interesting, but everything else looks pretty similar. So these are the agents Uh, In summary, uh, beyond the first line, and I just used the hazard ratio. Uh, I did not use the medians because, again, we we keep on talking about the the importance of the hazard ratios, perhaps, especially for immune therapy agents. And if you look at the hazard ratios for the TKIs and Ramessurumab AFP above 400, they all look very similar in the same ranges for survival, in the same range for PFS. Uh, and these are the responses below, and then the toxicities. And then when we look at pembrolizumab versus placebo, again, this is all historical comparisons, of course. Uh, the hazard ratio for survival was in the range, uh, but for PFS actually was not in the range of the other uh, three, uh, three studies. It actually you know, seems to underperform, and mind you, that they all were compared to placebo. Uh, the toxicities, of course, are different between all these, and the responses are the ones that remain a little bit more interesting with, uh, with the PD-1 inhibitor versus placebo. So that certainly leaves us with trying to figure out what to do at this point of time. Our only level one evidence, as I said, is with these TKI's, not with uh, the immune therapy agents. Uh, so regal, cabozantin, for AFP more or equal than 400. So, you know, there are a lot of reasons why the studies may have been negative. Uh, you know, they share the co-primary endpoints, so they weaken some of the power. Uh, the median versus tail, I'm not buying that at this point of time. The hazard ratios are telling a different story, and even the, the curves themselves, when you look at them, look, don't look very different between the various agents. Uh, overall survival uh, is, is a challenge and, and crossover designs, of course, but PFS doesn't, is not impressive in any of these uh, studies anyways. Um, so, you know, looking at perhaps thinking about more biomarkers, PDL1 itself does not seem to select CPS. I mean, th- there are hints that CPS and PDL1 may select a little bit better, uh, but they're really not differentiators. There are also, uh, and this was presented by Anthony El uh, looking at perhaps some T cell markers like a CD3 positivity, perhaps uh, leading, leading T cell expressing uh, CD3, leading uh, the pack in terms of predicting for response. These have to be validated Uh, prospectively. There's also a lot of work that's being looked at in gene expression signatures that may relate to response. Again all these are observations from the cumulative knowledge from those studies that have been uh, uh, presented uh, but unless uh, validated prospectively they don't have much value at this point of time. So where, where do we move next and this is happening now. Uh, you know, there are certain, uh, uh, fa- and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but there are a lot of activity in trying to enhance immune checkpoint inhibition <coughs> with an additional CTLA-4 blockade, OX40, uh, or the most interesting now are actually, you know, combining them with anti-VEGF combinations, and we have two examples of this, lenvatinib and pembrolizumab in a phase 1B study that show some really interesting... Uh, responses and and durability of responses and the same with atezolizumab and bevacizumab uh, where the response rate uh, was uh, close to 30% with the combination of of atezo plus bev and a favorable toxicity profile and we're going to see actually the results. Hopefully, we're going to hear about the results of Embrave 150, uh, which compared Atizo plus pep versus surafenib. But a number of other <coughs> studies are ongoing looking at a variety of combinations with LEMVO, PEMBRO, cabozantinib, atezo, and then dual uh, ICI. So anyway, so this is probably how things are looking right now in terms of how to best sequence our patients with advanced disease. I think it's safe to say that for first line, or so rafinib or lenvatinib, I don't think nivolumab fits uh, for those patients here. And second line, uh, rigorafinib, cabozantinib or alpha-fetoprotein, uh, for those with alpha-fetoprotein more than 400, remissurumab is an option. Um, not sure how to uh, place pembrolizumab at this point of time. And third line, I mean, we can still consider uh, the PD 1 inhibitors in case of that failure. I mean, these ongoing studies hopefully will salvage the field of immune therapy in this disease and will place them again more favorably in first and second line. Okay, thank you.